So I was wondering, um, like, if there was anybody that I could talk to FileMaker and nerd things about. And then I remember there was this guy that I used to record with forever ago. Did you ever did is, you find him? I, I, wait, him? Him who? Matt? Me? It's you. It's me. It's you. Welcome back. And here we go for another episode of FileMaker Talk. Now I would say that's an intro. We always dance to that theme song. That's how you intro, baby. Uh, hello, sir. It's been so long. I have to say, Doctor Petrovsky, (laughs) my buddy. The the second part of Matt squared, or I'm the second part. It doesn't matter to me. We're both here. Just the mats. We're the mats. (laughs) Um. Wow, it's been some time. Uh, it, you were telling me it was a year, and I said, "What?" I, I needed to go I to know. the website and uh, and look. It probably is. When you've been doing FileMaker for thirty years, what's one year? You know. Oh my gosh! <laughs> lots of development, lots of changes, lots of things. Todd Geist merges with uh, Ernest over at Proof. Mm-hmm. You sell your company. Mm-hmm. I moved across the country. Yes, I did. Big changes. So. All around. Yeah. So what do we have in the world of FileMaker? What's going on? Like 19 is big. We've got a fun event coming up uh, next week to uh, meetup groups. The Duel. The Duel. What is the Duel? It's a sort of a game show format idea that came about as I was talking to a few people. Uh, Vince Bonanno, Eric Matthews, and I kind of like brainstormed it a bit and flushed it out. Um, and we're going to pit different FileMaker topics against each other, like global fields versus global variables in scripting. Okay. Um, uh, some other ones I'm not sure we're going to do, like spider graph versus table occurrence groups. Uh, but there's some other ones. There's, there's, there's quite a few things in FileMaker where there's two good ways of doing a thing and sort of people behind either way. And we're going to have a debate for 10 minutes, present both sides, and then have everybody vote on which one wins. And we're merging five or so groups together, five or so meetup groups. So there should be maybe 100 people. I don't know. Okay. Instead of the usual 20 or 30. Uh, do, am I going to be the one recording this? Because if I am, I'm the one with the soundboard. And when you say global variables versus global fields, I say global variables. And... Uh, Mm. Guess what global so fields we're like, are going to get? We're doing our <laughs> we're doing our debate right now, are we? <laughs> no, we'll save it. We'll save it because I mean, global variables one typo and you're like doomed. Global field, you just change the name of the field, no problem. You can't you can't break it because you're using FileMaker's internal. No, see, this is the thing. We're <laughs> we're setting up like a mock debate, um, defending positions that we don't actually believe. <laughs> so there's going to have to be some type of time limit, right? Yeah, ten minutes. No, okay, I'm so it's a, I'm gonna, 10 minutes for two people to debate about it? Well, I, what I want to do, and who knows how well it will go in the actual practice, is introduce the topic, and I've got a list. We've got like 15 of them that we've already decided. Um, find someone who wants to champion either side in the group. They briefly make their case, like a minute each, something like that. And then them, plus anybody else who wants to, can sort of debate it. And then at 10 minutes, we stop and everybody votes and we go on to the next one. 10 minutes is a long time. You think it's too long? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's... See, they I were mean, thinking that, that these would be like 20 or minute or more discussions. We have but those, I'm encouraged by the fact that you think it's long. Well, you know, you have those speed sessions. You've got enough people. Let's say, let's say you're going to have a panel. Are you having a panel of people who are going to debate or is it just two people? I think it's just the group. Actually, like there's no preset list of people who are going to debate a topic. It's going to be a bit of a free for all. Like whoever wants to take a side can take a side. And then if nobody does, and like say you and I are running the thing, you and I could sort of kick it off. And then, but, but I think the discussion is going to be the interesting part, not the champion. So I think that's going to you know. be a little bit of chaos. I think you need to go like, uh-huh. okay, who feels most strongly? And people yep. are going to they're going to raise their hand or raise their virtual hand in the thing or whatever. And you say, okay, Take you it. and you. And give them each, like, you've got two minutes and two minutes. 
and then you like it's sort of like a real debate you know make your position yeah. make your position okay then rebut then rebut okay that's it now vote and we could way, do it that way. Yeah, yeah, we could actually have just the two people making their position. I was kind of hoping to open it a little bit more so that uh, some people, someone in the room who has a super nerdy aspect of that one topic of why it's good or bad, they should really have a chance to bring that up. So I, I do want some stuff from the peanut gallery, not just from the presenters. So that I think that'll make the meetup much more educational. Well, uh, here's the issue that I that I and this is nothing against anyone who isn't. Uh, how do I put this? Um, when people <laughs> when people are consuming this, when you have consumers that are listening to something, mm-hmm. the pace and the cadence is a little bit important. So if you get somebody that goes off on a tangent and they know they have like, oh, I've got 10 minutes and they go on forever, you're like losing people. No, I'm, I'm going to cut them off. So, yeah, you've got to get like something quick where it's going to be like, okay, you've got one minute, max two minutes to talk about this yeah. or whatever. Make your case. And then it goes to the other person so that you get, it's like a movie. You know, when you're watching a movie, they're not on any frame for longer than a few seconds. That's true. And it's like gone, 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 like that. And so you want to keep it fast paced. Well, this is why you should run the thing with me. Okay. Next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. This is an experiment, right? But I've, I've built, I've created a little FileMaker app that I'm hoping is going to work for the voting part. And so, um, as each user logs on, it remembers their device ID, their persistent ID. Yeah. And then um, that way they can close and reopen the file and it still remembers them. They don't have to have a user account. It can just be open. Um, the file will only be hosted during the debate. Uh, the file is called To the Death. <laughs> you, you might have some hackers out there that might want to try to overload it and simulate multiple connections. Uh, I hope we don't have people who are going to do that. There are all the, always those people. Yeah, that's true. So you might want to like, uh, I don't know, have some type of, uh, we'll send you a token in email and they use that and it gets them in the database. Mm. I'm a little bit more trusting of my community than you. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always security paranoid. Boy, I'll tell you, one of the things that's happened in this last year is uh, the application that we run uh, for the state of Oregon that we built and along with them, uh, originally it was called Orpheus, and we made a copy of it for the pandemic um, called Opera, the Oregon Pandemic. I like that name better. I can never get over that name. Because yeah, every, yeah. every time you say it, I'm swapping a couple letters. Morpheus. <laughs> and I'm getting yeah. Orifice. Oh, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> um, uh, so Opera handled the Oregon's response for the pandemic. Okay. And there are, I think, 1,300 users. Wait, this is and a FileMaker pe- database? This is a FileMaker database. Wow. Credit and when, I tell you, we learned that when you get up to, say, mm, 350 or so users concurrently using it, yeah, it doesn't work anymore. I, it doesn't. Things that worked perfectly stop working. And now, this is when, FileMaker clients or WebDirect? Yeah, FileMaker clients, no WebDirect. Okay. So uh, simple things like very fast searches that take a 10th of a second when you have 350 people doing them at the same time, they take 30 seconds and then the application stops working. So we had to do a whole bunch of retooling to solve a couple different waves of performance problems with the application, which we did, but there was some, there was some rough periods. Wow. Now see, that's where Um, I have not, I have to be honest, I have personally not worked with FileMaker in that type of environment where you've got 350 concurrent. And in that regard, I sort of feel like an an imposter. You know, I've got the imposter syndrome where I'm like, okay, I understand data structure. I understand how to build UI. I know how to make it all Mm -hmm. work great and perform, but I haven't been in that situation with FileMaker where you're- I have a little bit of imposters. I mean, I built things- I totally get that. Uh, I built things that I thought were super fast and really lightweight, and all the testing that we did showed that they ran really well, but then there's a certain point that when you scale it to, it's going to not work. <laughs> and uh, I think that point might have, would have come much, much sooner if we didn't you know, optimize as hard as we had. Um, but yeah, it was a really big, good learning experience. It, it little, you know, so many things like. So, get, tell me some of these optimizations because I was, I watched. Uh, oh, I went to the the um, 
so many of the FileMaker Illuminati are giving, they're speaking at all of the user groups, FM Disk, mm-hmm. Dig FM. Uh, Vince, a friend of mine, spoke about transactions, and he actually made reference and mention of a feature that I didn't even know was released in, I think, 1902 or something like that. I don't know. We have to start talking in terms of decimals Feature now. flags? 1901, 192, 193. Right. There's that, too. The, a whole debug feature. Yes, feature flags. Did you know about that? That you put the file in the application directory and it turns on like, and I was like, I've never heard of this. I hadn't either. Actually, he told me about it recently too. Okay. Um, But, but Carl, our server guy did know about it and he's been using that feature. Um, uh, Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think it came with 19.1. Okay. So for those Um, of you listening. But there was some other stuff in 19.1 server that kind of broke and 19.2 totally fixed it. Uh, adding the the huge concurrent um, performance feature, uh, yeah, and it, the whole bunch of other little small things have been happening in server too, like finds or not finds, but sorts happening server side now. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a big performance boost. Well, I mean, it, it from what I read and heard, it depends. The server will try to run them, but if it determines that it shouldn't or it can't, then it's going to shift it to the client. Yeah, but I've also uh, just. Through the grapevine, because of all the changes they're making, I don't know, you can tell me if you've heard the same, I've heard of some pretty hairy issues coming up, like literally relationships or portals being disconnected, and then even after you reconnect them, it just, something's wrong in the file and not coming back Hmm. uh, in a few instances. Um, I haven't heard about that. Huh. Well, I, I'm trying to, I mean, I hear from a number of people through the magazine and, and stuff like that. And so I'm trying to determine, is this a user end developer issue or is it something that truly is coming from FileMaker because of the rapid pace that they've gone to? So I have not yet been able to determine that. So let's go back to the duel for a second. All right. So we can finish on that. So if you want to know more about that, go to meetup.com and search for the FileMaker Portland group and join. Uh... I think the user groups, the meetup groups, I think are going to become um, maybe more regional, maybe more time zone focused, maybe more uh, focused on on things other than just the city that they're in. Um, so this is kind of the beginning of that. Um, so anyways, that's the information where you can get the link. It'll Those meetings will all be on Zoom and they'll be recorded. But to vote, you have to be on. So it's going to be much more fun to actually be on it real time. So well, that's my, if, that's my. if anyone's listening to this after that fact, I mean, that's where you can go for meetups. I mean, there is no central, there needs to be like filemakerusergroup.com or something that lists all of them. Uh, there are some groups like that, actually. There is a central, a couple of directories of centralized lists of all the user groups. But you can just go to meetup and search because I think they're all listed there. Okay. And I think there's also a directory on the Claris. Um, I was going to say I should uh, search the community. Claris community site community.claris.com. Yeah. So, yeah, again, and, and I think there's also one or two directories on third-party places. I think Tony White told me about one. Stephen probably has maintains. one on his website. Yeah, I bet he does. Uh, what is that? It's FM Forums, right? FMforums.com, yeah. Right. .net, isn't it? No, uh, .com. Um, okay. And then user groups. You know, these days you start typing your address, and it just fills it out for you. <laughs> open up a browser and type FA and it's automatically going to take you to Facebook. What am I talking about? I should make a page on the magazine website. Hey, if you've got a user group, send me the, an email to editor at filemakermagazine.com and I'll put it over there. There you go. It's pretty easy to set up a page of all the FileMaker user groups. I don't even know why I don't have that up there. Uh, let's see. The other big changes. Yes, I uh, AppWorks is now part of Direct Impact Solutions. That's a company that grew all across Canada and also has three offices in France. Um, they basically did as much as they could do to grow in the French-speaking world. And so they wanted to move into the U.S. They've been talking to different companies to uh, acquire client lists and companies in the U.S. And AppWorks was the first one that they bought here. And how did uh, that go for whatever really you can well. say about it? Well, they hired all of the employees of AppWorks and they took over all of our contracts and all of our customers are happy. So I couldn't be more happy about that aspect of it. This is what you really want when you own a consulting company is for your employees and your customers to be happy. 
and that's well, why that's why I'm in this business, just you know, to serve those communities. Um, so you wanted to be happy doing something else. Did you transition to something else, or it's just still? I mean, it's still Fawmaker you're doing because you're. I'm so it's still Fawmaker. So I, the I still. That's true. Well, I'm, <laughs> my role with Direct Impact is evangelist and trainer. Okay, got you. So, so I you really wanted to do. I wanted to do more training classes and less development and work less hours. Uh, focus on school. I'm back in school, getting a degree in music, uh, learning composing and conducting and stuff like that. Um, always been into that. I always have been, but now it's like the main thing I'm doing, which is fun. It's nice. Um, yeah. So to be able to do that in a way that was great for everybody, made it made a good, you know, it was really good for direct impact to be able to allow them to, to get into this market much more easily than trying to get all these customers directly. It was really good for our customers because they have access to all the same staff they used to work with plus additional resources. Yep. More people. Yeah, uh, and good for the employees of AppWorks because they now have, they work for a larger organization uh, that's Canadian, and so it has better kind of HR policies uh, <laughs> than most American companies. So yeah, I would, um, if anybody is interested in selling their company, certainly reach out and talk to me, and I'll tell you what it was like. But don't ask me how much I got paid because I won't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I will give you a ride in my new Lamborghini, but I won't tell you how much I got paid. Yeah, right. You don't have a Lamborghini. I, I don't have a Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, I know there. I know in the world of FileMaker, lots of people driving Teslas, but no, nah, not Lamborghinis. That's just a little too much. Yeah. I thought about getting a Tesla. Yeah? I, I don't know why I didn't, honestly. I have a friend. Just, it's still a lot of money. They are a lot of money. I have a friend. He was completely crazy about Teslas, and he just loved them so much. He wanted one for so long, for so bad. He was just like, I'm going to save up. I'm going to save up. And he bought all kinds of stock. He bought the stock before it went crazy. He became oh. what they call a Tesla nilly, a Tesla millionaire or something. He he basically made millions on Tesla stock. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my. That's I mean, the way to do it. All your eggs in one basket, but that passion paid off. I was like, jeez. Oh, I guess I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I didn't invest in Tesla. I mean, I was buying Apple stock in 1992, so. <laughs> and I had that stock for a long time. Until it went big guns? I sold all my Apple stock maybe five years ago when I got. I, right after Steve Jobs died, I think. Oh, wow. And I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. And most of my portfolio was that one stock because it had done so well over all those years. Yeah. And so I thought, mm, this is not a good idea not to be diversified. And I made the gigantic mistake of selling it <laughs> oh, <laughs> because, my. man, it kept going. <laughs> oh, but, oh, well, I did okay on the first long time. Oh. Speaking of that, I mean, I got into uh, mining... Uh, cryptocurrency and then Did i lost, lost the password to my uh wallet oh no way <laughs> i can't figure it out for the life of me and i know that as computing moves forward then eventually you know you'll have a uh, they've got computers and they'll use distributed aws now and uh yeah you know they'll run uh they'll run a wallet through you know three trillion different uh hashes but uh i i was i'm good with my passwords so you don't use it you didn't have a password vault like one password or something you put it in i did at that time but i think i was so like i was like i can't put my password anywhere it can't be anywhere because if anybody gets this or something i don't want it to ever be i was stupid i yeah. didn't put it down anywhere and it was long it was long i think i and read it was it had yeah. very low entropy i was like oh you've got to be kidding me uh, I think I read that 20% of all cryptocurrency is lost passwords. Yeah. People who have people who have no access to the vault anymore. Yeah. It's, it's sort of, that's it's, crazy. It is. It's a painful, painful yeah. situation. It's a lot of money and mattresses basically <laughs> that are never going to be. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk, let's, let's shift it back to FileMaker. Oh yeah. People want FileMaker stuff. All right. I, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yeah, they do. So, um, I still do cool stuff, cool stuff in, uh, 19. Um, 
I am a huge fan of add-ons. You I are. I love them so much. Oh, my God. I was just going to be on the opposite side of that. I was going to be like... We I, should totally... This should be part of the part of the duel. Oh, my gosh. I mean, they're convenient, but they're not portable. You can't rip them out easily. You take them out, and it destroys things. Oh, that's being fixed, though. That's what? That's going to be that's going to be addressed in upcoming versions. Okay, if they fix it then then fine, but current in its current state it is not a method to just move code around. It is a way to stick something into your FileMaker solution that you either initially don't understand or two have to dig into to understand to either enhance, update or modify. And then if you try to get it out, it's like sorry, not going to happen. Uh, otherwise we're going to rip out everything. I was like, yeah. no, I don't like this. Well, I mean, there's no real reason to delete an add-on once you've put it in. But if somebody does, it's going to delete the data if you if you actually repurpose the table that came with the add-on. Uh, yeah. So yeah. that's the scary. The only thing that scares me about them is, like, if you start with a Kanban add-on, and then you go, oh, that's really sweet. I'm just going to use that table, and then I'll import data into it, and I'll use that one and you know, do that as opposed to linking it to yours. And then you put a million records into it and then someone deletes the add-on. Truncate. Theoretically <laughs> it would, yeah, yeah, delete the table. Yeah, I just... And the data. They, yeah. they, it's not... Things that are portable in the code sharing world, it needs to be <clears> just something that just gets added on and it just becomes a part of the whole. But it does, though. But I mean, the add-on goes into it, and so if you just don't do that, if you just ignore the fact that you that you could do a stupid thing that would delete data, because you could always just go in and delete a table. Anyone could delete a table and it would delete the data if they're dumb. And that's the exact same thing we're talking about with the add-on. If you're dumb, you can delete an add-on and cause yourself harm. Well, there's a hundred other ways to do that in FileMaker and every other database. So don't delete the add-on, and then we don't have a conversation anymore. It's, and then and then now we're talking about other aspects of the feature, like is it easy to use? Is it robust? Is it is the JavaScript easy to change? Did they do a good job integrating it? Did they put the complexity at the right place? Um, uh, you know, some of the add-ons are more useful useful than others. Kanban is great. Calendar is great. Um, well, then they need to refine the, the feature set. They need the to give the feature? option to mm, yeah. lock it if you want so it can't be removed or to isolate it. Meaning once you isolate the code, it separates it from actually being an add-on. And it just that code is now a permanent part of your database. That's a good... So it separates... That would be great. That's, there's just two buttons. Mm -hmm. Isolate this add-on, and that separates it from the fact that they're using their internal IDs to track those, mm -hmm. or to lock it. And if you, whichever account locks it, then no other account can uh, delete it. Yeah, or, or maybe just a move, right? It says, oh, okay, integrate, you know, like fully, fully integrate. And then that, that basically um, unlinks the fact that it was added as an add-on. And all of the elements of the add-on are as though they were manually added. Yeah. That, that, that would solve that problem. That's, I, as a portable code container, that's what I'm looking for. I don't want something that sort of grafts itself on that if you don't like it, in order to take it off, you're going to like have to rip off an arm or something. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I mean, I yeah, but I think there should be that ability to add it and go, oh, yeah, I don't want this and be able to bring it out like, you know, in the first week without having to go to the components. Uh, for um, me, if you're going to test something, test it on a clone, test it on a copy. You don't need yeah, to sure. test it on your, your production or your master. You can yeah, get a feel for anything true. somewhere outside. We, you know, you can test drive a car before you actually buy it. This is true. Um, what about the functionality of them? Do you like? I mean, there's some, there's some, a whole bunch of things that you've not been able to do in FileMaker easily or at all. Obviously, like with a web viewer and you know, code your own. The Kanban is beautiful. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they did the bi-directional JavaScript opened up worlds and literally mm -hmm. opened up everything that's in the javascript world so part of that it becomes a little bit difficult because it does increase the uh, level of entry in order to actually do things because unless you're one either familiar with javascript but then two really in order to get things done in javascript you're going to need to use libraries now a lot of libraries there's so many things that you have to sort of become familiar with 
it's not like you can just go get the library and it's it will work within a web viewer like a client library. Sometimes you have to wrap those within um, I forget what the uh, what they're called and what they are. I'm not spending enough time with JavaScript these days, but like when you go to to the place node mod where they have all the node libraries in NMPJS, what is it? N M N M P. That's the package manager for Node for JavaScript, and the website mm -hmm. is npmjs.com. So you can find a library, <laughs> <laughs> and once you find that library, you it may solve all your problems and do everything you want. But then you're like okay, how do I actually get this into WebViewer? And that's just, it's at a different level. It's right. harder for a lot of people to get to that level where they would be able to package that up and then be able to use it in order to create what they want. Yeah, see, well, I think that what might be coming uh, is the ability to do that, right? So uh, imagine some developer like you um, uh, figuring out a way where you can integrate a JavaScript library that you find and then, the, and then it gives you the, the connection to say, okay, I'm going to drop this library in. It's going to then run some script to do some scanning and say, oh, this links to a bunch of fields. This needs a bunch of data already in your database. What fields do you want to map it to? What layouts do you want to map it to? And then it just kind of you know does that. I don't know. Maybe that's not fully understanding the problem. Um, no, that's but I could see something. I could see something like that. Well, all that mapping has to be done by the developer. The developer that's developing that add-on is mapping whatever they're managing in the JavaScript in conjunction with the library and saying, here are the things that we need. Where do you want to map those to in your FileMaker? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like some product or some feature in FileMaker that reads that JavaScript and sees the points that it needs to map, reads your FileMaker structure, and comes up with an interface that says, how do you want to map it? Hmm. I think it was a little, given libraries are so broad, you're using libraries to create functionality or a feature set. Once that feature set is created, it's that's when the developer is going to say, okay, I need this, this, yeah. and this piece of information, and what fields do you want to link them to? So prior to that thing being created, I don't know that you would ever be able to just map to a library itself as I a think, whole. Yeah. Well, it's a more complex problem, and that's why it's not solved yet. Because <laughs> I mean, that's that's only one example of what a JavaScript library does to set data in certain fields. Something like Kanban, it reads data from a task. It has a you know, and six or eight fields that you can modify um, to change status or change date or whatever. Right. So, so Todd created that, and what he did is when he was creating it, he wrote he had to write the bridge to bridge the settings from what the Kanban which the, the calendar one was another one, and they're all from mm -hmm. open source JavaScript libraries. So like the uh, calendar is Calendar.io. I've been yeah. using that one for years and years and years. Um, same thing with Kanban. So he just wired it up. So here are the field. Here's what Kanban needs. Here's the map. Here, you, you tell me the fields, and then I'll just map them. And right. that, that is a very nice advantage because you don't have to know JavaScript. Yep. So... But if you want to tweak it and modify it, you could then have to get in and, and modify and look at his code. If you want to, I don't know, I haven't looked at it in depth. If it, let's say if it's managing six columns and you've got a wider monitor and you want to go to eight columns, maybe he <laughs> provided that as a setting. But if it isn't provided, you're going into the code. You're going into right. the JavaScript. Yeah. Well said. And then there's the JavaScript code at multiple layers because he's an expert developer. He's not scared of anything. And so there's custom functions. And, you know, there's these other layers of things that are, that are not going to be obvious places for a lot of FileMaker developers to look. Oh, yeah. some FileMaker. I mean, there's a lot of people, I think, like, if you're listening to this and you are a FileMaker developer, don't ever be afraid of taking on JavaScript. Yes, it is a much larger mm -hmm. canvas and it's a wider place to play. But that doesn't mean that when you go to a gigantic sandbox that you can't just stay in one little corner. You can stay in your little corner until you're ready to explore out farther. And it's basically just digging and going down the rabbit hole one step at a time looking for totally. what you're trying to find. I, that's one of the things that I'm most excited about with these add-ons is because you can get the power of a JavaScript as a starting point without having to know any JavaScript. 
They are, yes. From a learning standpoint, I think they're probably the, if you're comfortable and familiar with FileMaker, they're probably one of the best ways to learn and become familiar with JavaScript. Mm -hmm. Use one of those add-ons and start to take it apart. It is going to use more advanced approach because it has to account for the cross-platform aspect of uh, Windows and Mac. But, I mean, at least gets you, it gets your feet wet and it gets you in there messing with stuff, for sure. So, then you're eventually learning React and, uh, and then you're trying to make your own frameworks like Todd and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So, you want to know... Is, and what else in 19 do you like? What I was going to say, you want to know what mine is? What's yours? Ah, Linux. Oh my gosh. The, oh, the Linux yeah. server. server. I am going crazy. <laughs> I am actually, I'm, I'm in the process of uh, creating um, a series of videos. They, it'll be a separate product through the magazine that will walk a person from nothing to managing a Linux server or being able to manage a server, but doing it on your local machine. So basically, what I love about this is a, a local VM. You can spin up a FileMaker server in a VM on your own box for the purpose of developing that leaves your native operating system completely alone. It doesn't mess with port 80, with 443, with all the different ports. You can spin up that VM as a server, and I'm going to walk people through everything that you need to know about setting up a Linux-based FileMaker server in a VM on your local machine so you're not worried about messing up a production server. But everything right. that you learn in that series of videos about setting it up, I'm setting, up, setting it up as if you were going to set up and manage your own remote server. So it will directly translate from a development environment to what you can... Uh, that's how you learn and do it comfortably without worrying about messing things up. You can just mm -hmm. scrap the VM. You can start over with a new VM and you can run multiple VMs. You have multiple clients and you need to emulate multiple environments. You can open up three or four VMs because a, a Linux server is lightweight. It is tiny yeah, compared to a, a Windows VM. Windows server. Dude, I'm so such a fan of AWS but I don't know why anyone would run a local VM when you could just spin up an AWS VM server for two bucks a month. Because a local VM, I get to take advantage. There is zero latency. So for development, it's really fast. I can condition my link if I want to simulate a high latency link. But then I get the full advantage of all of my resources on my machine. Yeah. Because... Uh, you want to go higher in AWS. If you want to simulate eight processors, you want to simulate more of a yeah. real environment, you're going to pay more money. Yeah. You're, you're not going to be able to stay at the, the, the medium tier or even the low tier. Well, I mean, I would build a T2 micro or something like that if I was building a T3 micro. Well, See, you'd have to kind even of know then, your, your processor bound. Your processor bound on that. I mean, I Dude, want to be able to... FileMaker server. It doesn't use any processor. Come on. <laughs> the only FileMaker server cares about one thing. One thing, disk I.O. And Does network. not care about RAM and network. network. But I mean, okay, so now you have a five gigabit backplane on your $2 a month server. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> and, it is just... And if you want to test it and have people actually test it, you got to have it on AWS. Yeah, but I mean, even then, well, are we talking about a Windows server or a, a Linux? Because on Linux... With this local VM, yeah. you can do it with a Windows VM too. It's nice yeah. to be able to have it there and be able to see what happens and and simulate performance and all kinds of different. I I just like it. Yeah, local. I get all that. Yeah, I I, I totally see that. Um, I think I'm I take a very different approach than you. Um, I really I actually intend or I I really feel strongly that for a development server, it should closely resemble what a production server would look like. But that's what you and do, but locally. Because it makes you a better developer. Yeah, but if you, if, if you just put it on AWS, then you don't have to do any other anything. You're already in the zone of cloud server, and you can know exactly if you make a certain decision as a developer how it's going to work on the cloud. But and see, you can the cool know the difference is, in speed you're going to get from PSOS or not. Well, the cool thing is, if you set up your VM on your local development box, guess what you can do with that local VM, given that you trust that it's secure? You can load it up to an online service yeah. 
and you can give it to other mm. developers. And if they don't even have an idea of how to set up a system, you're just like, yeah, go go get free virtual box from Oracle and just open this. Mm. Boom. It's just running on their machine. And and they can test with a, a local file maker. I just it's I love it. <laughs> That's cool. And so uh, you can run an an extra instance of Linux easily on both Mac and Windows. You mean in a VM? Yeah. Yeah. You can like if you have if you have Parallels for Mac or if you have mm -hmm. VMware's Fusion for Mac or mm -hmm. on Windows just VMware, you can run any Linux VM. And if you want to yeah. do it all for free, you, you can do it totally for free. I mean, seriously, for a FileMaker, for anyone who's trying to become a FileMaker developer, your max out-of-pocket cost, I think they're included. Are they including a copy of FileMaker with the developer program now? No. No? Is it, It's just server? They have that $99 developer program that you get a, you get server with three connections you get to learn the data migrator, oh. and uh, I think it comes also with a FileMaker, but you can you get right. VirtualBox for free. That's your VM environment. And then you can get um, uh, you get your FileMaker server for 99 bucks, and then you're basically running it local. Hmm. I mean, you're, that's for me, I've always had a big issue with FileMaker having a high price of entry, entry in order to learn. And, and it should not be that way. I mean, they can stay proprietary software. They've got to make money. I understand they've got to sell licenses. But you want as many people as possible in order to understand and love your environment. And yeah, I totally agree with you. There, there needs to be a $0 entry point. I think FileMaker, when they do that, they're going to come out with uh, like a FileMaker cloud way to do it. So you can create a database and do development on it and have it all be hosted within their cloud environment, their, you know, Claris Apple world. Yep. I mean, they'll, they'll always provide that as an option, but the difficulty I have with that is in order to understand something, it, you've got to get your hands on it. Like for me, yeah. I've got to tinker. I've got to get into the command line. I have to use the, uh, the FMS admin tool. I've got to know what it does, know how I can write a script that can interact with that know how I can back up my databases, know how I can use rsync in order to sync the backup databases offline and all of the things that you mm. expect to have when you're going to manage a server. And yeah. you, when I just put well, it yeah, up on I mean, the cloud, cloud server, it's just a resource. I mean, it, I think what they're really trying to get to is where you just don't have to think about that, right? Like if you want to go right now and put, uh, not that it's really a close analog, an Airtable system together, you go up, you get a free account at Airtable, and you start doing development. Oh, no and doubt. You don't, you don't think about server. You're, it's an appliance. It's just a service that you get. And then when you decide to launch, you start paying a monthly fee, and you can do what you can do and immediately start running into limitations. So I think what we're having is have. we're having two different conversations. That's a complete argument for a new FileMaker developer who wants to just develop something for their company, and they need to get up and running. And, and yes, FileMaker is going to take care of that server management for you. They're going to do all the stuff that you don't want to have to do because you don't want to be an IT person. Right. But who are you me, trying to build a I'm solution for? I'm talking to FileMaker developers who want to either be able to manage their own server, server environment or be fully aware of how the server environment is actually working. So... Like we all know that I, FileMaker Cloud is not allowing you to put like base elements plugins on your on their servers. It's just right. too much of a security risk. But if you want to be able to do the really cool stuff, you sort of need to support plugins in order to do a lot of things at the OS level. So that means you're going to have to go with a hosting provider like Saliant or somebody that's going to host for you, or you're going to have to do it for yourself. And that's or you know direct impact. <laughs> or direct impact, or you guys, you guys will sure, do. I know what you mean. Oh, plugin yeah, based servers. I, yes, all, every single customer that we built a server for, and I think it was up to eighty or something like that by the time we got we merged, and they had their own huge uh, hosting environment as well. Um, uh, they're all dedicated servers, and so if a customer wants plugins, okay, then of course we would do that. I, oh, I, nice. We rarely ever did because. 
plugins I, plugins are dumb and i'm gonna come right at you on that one in the duel <laughs> i'd make them i'd make them sign a contract though if you put base elements or anything that gains os level access on a server that you're trying to manage for them i'd be like uh, if this is installed then you forfeit all of your rights to contact us for support yeah there's a rider i mean there's an issue <laughs> like that right so like for example um like you, you could run a very very small filemaker server five a five user client you could build a t2 micro with a gig of ram and it'd be fine with windows and Only i know you think that's crazy but i'm telling you no you don't ah. one gig one gig of ram will run filemaker server 19 perfectly well for five users you won't even know but if you want to run mirror on there no no, I mean, <laughs> then you and, need four. you need four gigs of RAM or something like that. Well, and the day that you want to upgrade the Windows OS, hello, downtime, that's going to eat up so many of your, your credits that you'll go down to like zero unless you're going to, no. unless you're going to support that boosting up. It's a, it's a cloud server. You don't upgrade the OS. If you want to go to the next version of Windows, you build a new server and you just move your files to the new server. That's what it, you would do. I would upgrade. You, I don't. I, no, some of it's a hassle. No. I'll update an OS. God no! You don't upgrade anything in the cloud environment. You just deploy a new. It takes it, you. You click one thing and you deploy a whole new server. You, you, it wouldn't even really make sense to upgrade the FileMaker server version in place. It's Aren't you much having to remap easier. the IPs? No, remap they have the IP. You're running the volume separately, right? Where the databases are stored. So AWS has resources to solve all these problems for you. So if you if you wanted to deploy a new server, um, you would have a couple of minutes of downtime for the entire process. You get a you get a Elastic IP and you and you bind it to your yeah. domain name. Um, you would build a new server. You would set up the SSL cert on it, and then at the time of switch, if you wanted to upgrade both your Windows version and your FileMaker server version at the same time. You shut the old server down. You move its drives over to the new server, so there's no data transfer or anything. You just basically say, "Oh, we're going to re, we're going to connect this drive to the other server." So now my data drive, my backup drive, and my I don't know image drive get reconnected. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. you turn the other server on, and poof, you're in business. I think oh, this remap is. I think address. this one is a. We need to get two passionate people on this, uh, Wim Decourt and somebody else. Like, I don't know. And if the whole thing fails, your un, your undo is so simple. You're just like, oh, okay, well, yeah, we're switch just going to shut down the and other back VM. to the other drive. So the question is, multiple VMs for upgrading or upgrading in place on a VM? <laughs> that's, that's, that's your duel right there. Well, I don't so know. Like I'd upgrading? rather have the resources and, up, and, you know, when everybody's disconnected, just upgrade in place. Mm, maybe for version, like if you're upgrading from FileMaker Server 19.1 to 19.2, Sure. If you're upgrading from Windows, I mean, like I already have a backup to Windows Server 2019. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> all I know is, well, I mean, Linux okay, let's, kills let's, all this because the stupid update process of Windows yes, is a joke I, compared I know, to. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know, I know. But if you're doing just apt one, upgrade, apt update, if, apt upgrade, done. <laughs> if you're doing just one, then that's one argument that you and I could have. Because upgrading in place, you're just going to sit there and you're going to wait for Windows to update, and you're going to be down for two hours while Windows updates. But if you're doing 20, you could do 20 in the same hour with the method I, I talked about. All right, dude, I definitely want to hear this debate from people that are actually like in Well, that when situation. we're going to have this debate, I'm going to have Carl on because he's a total genius at this stuff. And he'll call me out on everything that I've got wrong, and he'll know a whole bunch of things that make it even easier than I don't even know. Um, but I tell you, we've been through this a lot with um, with the many servers that we ran. Um, and I uh, have uh, I probably felt just as you did, you do, a couple of years ago before I started really deploying servers for people huh. and solving problems and, you know, and we all those servers are connected to Zabbix, so we got constant alerts with all the yeah. problems they'd have, like a server runs out of memory. Oh, this is my favorite thing. A server drive starts to get full on a hosted server. This is going to be the same with Linux and, or Windows. You go into AWS, you say, oh, 60 gigs is not enough. Let me give you 30 more. You click a box and you make the, uh, the drive 90 gigs. Yeah. Does it do it you in go place? Into Windows, it doesn't need to bring it, it down. Does it in place? Doesn't need to bring it down. Doesn't need even need to reboot. It's two steps, though. You have to first do it in AWS, 
and then it's immediately available to the OS. Yeah, I was going to so say. You go into Windows and you, you go to the, the, drive, the d device manager or whatever for the drive, like format, um, maintain and format drives or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, it'll immediately see the space. You just click expand and then uh, all of the spaces is there just like that. No reboot, no nothing. Gotcha. See, um, I haven't messed with enough. Uh, I haven't messed with the Windows servers enough to, to have that situation. There, you know, that said, connect setting up your very first one is a hassle. Like when you start from scratch with an AWS account, the none of the defaults are quite right for FileMaker. The server's firewall will be turned on. It's a pain to just get the very first remote desktop um, connection. The default user account will be administrator, which you should never have. Um, you have to set up firewall rules to get your uh, to to greatly restrict the remote desktop access because you do not want to open up remote desktop access to the world. So port 3389 needs to be blocked out. Um, uh, the server will have its local firewall turned on, which will prevent FileMaker from working entirely. <laughs> um, so you have to figure out how to turn off the firewall. Uh, Internet Explorer, Edge, whatever, won't allow any downloads of anything. So you have to like change your server. There's a whole bunch of things like that that are going to be that are going to stop you one after another after another. Hmm. And once you get once you get a perfect image set up with all of those things solved um, and with FileMaker server installed and configured, then you can deploy a new server in 30 seconds. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I'm running mine now on AWS. I never really had those issues. I just turned off the OS firewall, installed FileMaker, and then yeah. thing, things sort of worked. I did. You had, you had all those issues. You just solved them one at a time and forgot about it. Other optimizations. But uh, hmm. yeah, and then like all the other services in Windows, you don't want to be running. Uh, oh yeah, so we'll see. That's that's another reason why I'm a favor of in favor of uh, the Linux side. Linux comes so yeah. trimmed down. In fact, they I know sent uh, they started on CentOS, and th there was a problem with it that it wouldn't you couldn't do use Docker. You couldn't use a kernel-based VM. You had to use a full virtualized VM um, because they were using SE Linux. Well, when CentOS said, nope, we're not going to be developing this anymore, FileMaker had to make a switch, and they're switching to Ubuntu. So Ubuntu mm -hmm. as Linux, oh my gosh, it comes with so many of the tools that you use to monitor things by mm. default, and it's very possible. I haven't tried, but I'm actually really chomping at the bit for the time to see if I can set it up in a, uh, in a container because setting up a FileMaker VM in a container is just, oh my gosh, it'll be so, yeah. so fast. You could have five or six different server containers that you just launch them on your machine. And I mean, yeah, that'd be sweet. I mean, instantly I'm already getting a, uh, I can have a full FileMaker server up on my local development environment in, you know, what, 10 seconds. You click a button and your FileMaker server is running. And when you're finished, you shut it down. And that's it. But uh, yeah, Docker with Ubuntu is probably going to be possible. Somebody's going to solve it. If it's Sweet. If not me, if I get the time. But I want people to know this stuff because now it's in the world that I really like. <laughs> I know. it's it's uh, It seems like we didn't have to know all this before. But now we have to like you know, at a level, know something about server deployment and Ubuntu and command line stuff and server monitoring tools and firewall ports. And, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think there's a lot of developers who just don't. And for those developers, Hey, call direct impact. We'll set up a server for you. We'll have all of the best practices met or, you know, some other hosting company who's great. Um, like ODI tech, our buddy Joey Grimaldi out here, yeah. you know, they, they just know how to do all that stuff. Um, and then you can just develop, but if you really want to nerd out and be, and understand the whole back end and be able to run and control your server side scripts and have access to your backup files and then do all the custom config, go watch my upcoming <clears throat> videos. <laughs> yeah. I'm super curious about it. Oh, um, let's, you want, is there another topic before we wrap? We can't just like, you know, make up for a year of oh, no talking. Do like, do a two hour marathon. We're at one hour right now. <laughs> and then just, uh, do, do these once every uh, year where we talk for two, three hours. I know we are so <laughs> I'd bad. rather talk. I'd rather talk for half an hour once every couple of weeks, Maddie. Uh, well, we're at 49 minutes, so.
Um, anything else? I don't know. There's, yeah. I think oh. people are exhausted from that last exchange. <laughs> could be. I mean, de- definitely could be. Oh, well, go 19.2. 19.2 and up if you can. Because the speed, the speed performance is just... And reliability. Their caching is just... Mm-hmm. They're, they're getting it there. It's Maybe that three, 350 people will be able to go to 450 people. <laughs> um, uh, 19.2 solved a huge amount of the problems that we had with the speed at that, at that huge user count. Yeah. We, they didn't... Um, no government client likes to be on the current version of anything. True. Because they're much, they, they like, like to wait and watch uh, the bugs get ironed out. So there has to be a really good reason uh, for a government agency to use the current version of any, <laughs> anything. Uh, and there was in this case, and it was worth it. And they got the, they saw the benefits, huh? Yeah. Nice. Well, I have to personally admit, I'm still running a 17 server somewhere. I need to get it switched. Uh, yeah. I don't know. We've but got clients who are running much older ones than that sometimes, but. Only two people connect to it and it's plenty fast and fine for what it does. So I just keep leaving yeah. it. And I guess, wait, you can't use 19 client with it though. Nope. I can't. So I still yep. have to go down to 18. And so, yep. I'm in between 18 and 19 these days. Most of the time. Have you switched to all M1 Max? I haven't even gotten an M1 Mac, to be honest. Um, I haven't either. I'm thinking I, about it, though. I was. The other day, I was thinking, I'm going to pick up the MacBook Air. Because if the M1's the same on the 13 and the Air, I just want to reduce the weight. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'll just go with the lightest thing there is. So I might I might do one of those. A friend of mine traded in his 16-inch pretty high-end MacBook Pro for yep. a MacBook Air M1, which yep. he says is considerably faster and produces less heat and has a longer battery. And like, <laughs> you know, uh, a $1,000 Mac outperforms a $3,000 Mac because of the huge improvements in the M1. But you know what? Not for FileMaker. It only does it for apps that are fully optimized for M1. Yeah. Which is not FileMaker yet. Not yet. That is my exact situation. I'm actually just looking at my lap, my 16-inch laptop, and I hate the keyboard. I hate, hate the keyboard. It's, it feels like you're tapping on paper. It's just ridiculous. I don't hate hate it, but I dislike the touch bar more and more every day. Oh, I never liked the touch bar. Yeah, never. I never did either, but um, I never really use it, you know, when it comes up. But I accidentally tap like you're in a web browser taking notes in Google Docs or something. And you hit some number and then your finger slips and now you're on some other web tab. It's like, ah, <laughs> where, where was I? I so stayed with my 13 like inch that had the, uh, the physical, uh, F keys. I stayed with that forever <laughs> for a laptop. Yeah. Yeah. And th- they did at least add the escape key. The previous touch pad one that I had, or the uh, touch bar had the, the virtual escape key. Yep. Hate and it. so if you were just, yeah, you were just like barely hovering your finger up there and you had just typed a big old calculation and you just barely hovered it and poof, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> That one was annoying. Hate it, hate it, hate it. No undo for that. It's just, yeah, but they, they, they fixed that and put a physical escape key. Gosh. Those, those anyway. guys always changing stuff. Yeah, well, that's good for us, for our living. Yeah, it does work. So, well, buddy. Oh, outro music. <laughs> listen, to, listen to how silky that is. Yeah, I think thanks we, for listening to FileMaker Talk. <laughs> I think we are going to have to wrap this one up. Let's do that. All right, everybody. Well, we'll catch you on the next episode, which we'll do quicker than a year, hopefully. And, and also come to the duel. Come to the duel. 